0: When we hit the midpoint uh, around 1,300 miles, that was a really tough point for a lot of us because it's so exciting to hit the midpoint because you're, of course, you're halfway through. That's amazing. And you walk 1,300 miles. That's amazing. And then you realize you have to do it again. And it wasn't easy the first time. (laughs) And so that that was really tough. And I think for a lot of people, it's only after that point it's somewhere in the second half where you really think to yourself yeah i think i can actually do
1: this
2: welcome to the hiking through podcast i'm erin egan heavily debating my planned pct through hike And this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is Archive, known off-trail as Tiffany Chow. She did the thru-hiker's version of social distancing when she Sobo-hiked the PCT last year. And the speed and noise and people after the trail took some getting used to. In this episode, we talk about night hiking in the Sierras, fun with porcupines and rattlesnakes, carrying fears and regrets, and picking up lost miles. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Archive. So welcome. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I'm excited. I never get tired of talking about the trail. So whenever someone wants to talk about it, I feel really happy.
2: (laughs) Do you get a chance to talk about it much anymore?
0: Uh, It's been a little tough after the trail, I think. um, Because when you're gone for five months, it's not like everyone just stopped and waited for you to come back. So everyone else had stuff going on while I was gone. And... I lived, breathed, ate, drank at the trail for five straight months. And so I don't really know very many people who, just in my personal life, I don't know that many people that have aimed for or completed something like a long distance thru hike. It's a little tough, except when I talk to thru hikers or prospective thru hikers, I don't get to talk about it all that much.
2: You don't just sort of drop it into conversation? Yeah, you know, know last year I sort of did this thing.
0: Sometimes, honestly, I'm not even kidding. If a cashier or someone at a, you know, like a barista or something says, "Hey, how are you doing?" and they seem nice, I'm like, "Can I just tell you about a thing that I completed recently?"
2: <laughs> so I, I did see actually the because you did post about having some difficulties coming back. You know, kind of reacclimating. And also I yeah. guess both reacclimating and also the fact that you had been hiking pretty solo at the end and so it was kind of a little difficult to 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 come yeah. back to all the people and the, the noise and the speed and all of that.
0: Oh man, yeah. It's been super I still remember when I whenever I'd go to a grocery store or something, it was overwhelming near the end because I would maybe see people once every two days or something is that near the end because it's just the end of the sobos. really they're you're not going to pass any northbounders uh occasionally you'll pass by a day hiker or someone doing a short section hike but it's quiet near the end (laughs) so any place where there's a large gathering of people it's a lot (laughs) and when you spend a month really able to get to know yourself a lot more with nothing but your thoughts and a few audiobooks and podcasts here and there. It lights and people and technology. It's a lot to get used to again. And I live in the heart of Seattle. So having lights outside 24-7 and hearing sirens and cars and People who really want to make sure they know that, you know, everyone knows that they're driving a really nice car. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, yeah, it's really, really, really different. So even two and a half months now, I guess, after I've gotten off the trail, it still can be pretty overwhelming.
2: What have you done to help with that?
0: I'm going to be honest. That first month after I got back, I really embraced being. A couch blob. It was great. <laughs> I think that I binge watched all of the episodes of The Bake Off on Netflix. Um, <laughs> so it was really, really great for a while to do nothing. And at the same time, it was really awful. Because I just, I guess sort of sank further and further down into being sad, kind of missing the trail, missing the simple life. Um, I know I had, I had to make a few phone calls after I got back and it was just like, oh my God, this is so, this is too much. I just want to be back in a world where I don't have to worry about this stuff. So for like a month there, I just sort of sank further and further down and did not much. And um, it was after about a month that I started looking into what I wanted to do next because I left my job. I saved up a lot of money to head out on the ccp So I didn't have to find a job immediately after I came back. And I also didn't have one to come back to. So then I decided it was probably a good idea to figure out where I wanted to go next. And that's when I started to look for summer jobs. I wasn't sure if I wanted to head back into the career I had before. I was a software engineer before I left for the PCT. And one of the reasons I left for the PCT was I really wasn't sure how I felt about that. So in looking for summer jobs, that was really nice because it took my mind off of I guess doing absolutely nothing, which I'd gotten really good at in the month <laughs> that I was off the trail. And yeah, I, I also started looking into other trails. I really, really enjoyed the through hiking life as much as I wanted to stop walking at the end because my God, 2,600 miles is a lot. I, I was, I, I really wanted to plan something else. I, when I planned for the PPT, I was in a really happy place because I was looking forward to it. And Looking into other long trails made me kind of get that feeling back. Brought me a little bit out of the black hole I had fallen down a little ways.
2: <laughs> the funk?
0: Yeah. I, you you hear about post-hike depression, for sure. <laughs> There's, I, I think that everyone on the trail kind of knows that it's coming. Um, yeah. But it, you don't really get it until it starts happening, I think.
2: I have a feeling that's a little bit like hiker hunger. You don't really get it until you have it.
0: That's for sure. Oh, man, hiker hunger. <laughs> it's so much fun on the trail to be able to eat whatever you want. <laughs>
2: oh, hell yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm certainly looking forward to that. Definitely. And you
0: should. It's lovely. <laughs> it's the only time in my life I've ever been able to, because I'm 5'1". I'm a 5'1", short Asian woman, and <laughs> I have never been able to eat a full 12-inch pizza in one sitting except for on the trail.
2: Too bad you don't have a time lapse of that.
0: Oh, I know, I, it wouldn't be a very long time lapse because that pizza was gone pretty quick. But
2: for The <laughs> next trail, we'll do a time lapse for the next, next trail.
0: Yeah, I'll say I'll, I'll I'll take many 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 photos of that pizza as it's
1: getting eaten.
2: <laughs> did you, especially towards the end when you were on the trail, like you said, the last month or so, did you feel a little bit like you were the last person on Earth? And then every once in a while you'd be reminded that you weren't, but then you'd go back and be solo hiking again.
0: I think day, uh, like moment by moment, it did feel a lot like that. Uh, I I was maybe within, I don't know, 15 miles on either side of me, um, a group of 12 ish. sobos. so we'd see each other in town. Yeah. So we'd see each other in town. It was a really great group too. So even if I didn't see them in town, we were all connected on Instagram. So You'd see photos from um, from the other Sobos around you, and I, I distinctly remember there being one section. Uh, it was the first snowfall in that part of the desert we were in, uh, so it was like mid-November-ish, and there was a group. There were there's a group of us in Idlewild, and we were zeroing because we didn't want to deal with that. And it was actually kind of dangerous in places like if you were on the top of Mount San Jacinto, which is really like the last super, super tall thing you really should worry about if you're so going. I remember there was a group of us there and we were holed up and there was another group in Julian, a few dozen miles down the trail. And there was another group in Warner Springs and they were all just holed up also. And so we were on Instagram like, Hey, are you guys okay? And, uh, it was nice to have that group around because it was more fun in town, but because there were so few of us. I mean, 12 people over the span of 30, 40 miles, you're not going to see each other that often, especially because at the end, everyone's doing, I don't know, 28, 30 miles a day. You don't really see each other except when everyone stopped in town. So, yeah, it felt kind of cool to see that alone. It's funny because the first 2,000 miles or so of the trail I really, really hated camping alone. I never wanted to camp alone. I felt terrified. I was one of those people. I guess a lot of people talk about cowboy camping on the PVD, and I just didn't like doing that. So I set up my tent every every night, and I felt like safer that way <laughs> when I was camping alone. Um, and I would even set up my tent when there were other people around. So I just felt really iffy about sleeping by myself. But those last 500 miles or so... I got really used to it and it felt so, so wonderful. I got to sit in my head and think about all the things that I don't really get to think about when I'm in the heart of Seattle.
2: Was that something that you wanted to do at that point? And so you made a specific conscious choice to do it, or did it sort of just happen that way and then you had that opportunity?
0: It sort of just happened that way. It's harder in the desert to, I think, pace with other people. So I had a trail family up in Washington and we camped together pretty much every night the whole 500-ish miles of Washington. And that's really easy because it's like, we're all still getting our our hiker legs. We are, the terrain is not very kind. So there were usually very specific tent sites where people wanted to camp because it's like, Oh, I really don't want to end the day on a really steep mountain or oh, I like you know I like don't really want to start out the day with a really steep mountain. So there were really good campsites so it was again easy to to coordinate with other people where you wanted to stay. But in the desert, everyone has their trail legs at that point. You just kind of you're like most of us by the time we hit 21, 2200 miles we're just done. We just wanted to be done. So people were sort of doing their own thing to get to the end, however they were going to get to the end. And it's definitely harder, I think, in the last section of the PCT to really maintain a pace with other people. So I imagine a lot of people have a similar experience to me. And for me, it was just a really, really positive experience. I was really glad that that last month was pretty solitary.
2: How social are you generally?
0: I like to say that I'm a solo hiker, but a social camper.
2: <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> I don't
2: like hiking
0: with other people. And part of that is just I don't like being kind of forced or pressured into any pacing myself in any sort of way. Sometimes I'm feeling really good and I'm just going to you know blast through. Sometimes I'm not. And I'm going to be honest for a lot of this trail, I was drinking a lot of water in my normal everyday life. I drink a lot of water. So I was super doing it uh, on the trail. And so, you know, I have to pee all of the time on the trail. So it's really, really nerve wracking when you're hiking really close to someone and you just have to get off the trail and pee. Wow. Um, and you're like, Oh, man, this person's I know that they're maybe a hundred yards behind me so I got to either pee real fast or just wait for them to pass but then I know I'm going to be leapfrogging it's just the whole thing there's so there's so many considerations a lot of thought process into this thing it's so there was one section in the desert it was um the 24 miles between Agua Dulce and Casa de Luna I think and so we all left Agua say at the same time I think I'm remembering this right anyway there's like a 20 mile section where everyone left town at the exact same time and so there were six or seven of us hiking very very closely and that was so stressful for me <laughs> there were so many times where I had like the fastest pee ever and then I would just keep walking <laughs> it's very stressful so that also made these last several hundred miles feel great because I could just I mean, I could take a break if I really wanted to get off, you know, do some sightseeing off the trail a little bit. That was really easy. I didn't have to ask anyone if they wanted to stop. I didn't have to ask for permission. It was great.
2: You could, you could take the figurative newspaper with you to the bathroom and... Absolutely. <laughs> it's interesting that you use the term ask permission. Is that what you felt like you were doing when you wanted to go someplace else or had to stop or, you know, that kind of thing?
0: No, it's just like, I think it's personal pressure that I put on myself. I mean, I do, this is even true for day hikes that I do outside of the trail or um, shorter backpacking trips when, or even just traveling in general. When, when I travel or hike with someone else, I always am very aware that they're there and I can't just decide to do something and necessarily have them feel great about it also. So it's not like I don't think that someone would get mad at me or something if I decided to do something, but just having that extra consideration is just another level of care that I have to have, whereas if just, I'm just by myself and I can do whatever I want, like you said, I can bring the newspaper into the bathroom and no one will judge me for it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and there, though I don't necessarily always understand it, there is definitely a reason to bring the newspaper into the bathroom.
0: You know... Sometimes you just, you got to find that perfect pee spot and you found it and it's nice to have it alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's also not super fun to dig a cat hole when you know someone's like 30 feet away from you. (laughs) (laughs)
2: When did your, when did your tramley break up When after you crossed over into Oregon or? Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. So the second we hit Oregon pretty much, we hit Cascade Lock and we just, almost as soon as you hit Oregon, it flattens out a lot. So when we were in Washington, our different paces were kind of, I guess, smoothed out a little between us. So it was, again, because the terrain is so hard and we are still figuring it out. And you don't, I think a lot of us were also feeling iffy about camping by ourselves that early on. So uh, we we pretty much kept pace with each other because we wanted to. And then once we hit Oregon, the, the difference in our paces became clear almost right away. <laughs> so there was one of us, uh, his name's Ollie. He he goes by Wonka on the trail. But he, I could tell when we were in Washington, just wanted to go faster. He was very aware of the fact that Sobos have a shorter hiking window uh, to make it through the Sierra than the Nobos do. So we were, he, he just was very stressed out about this from the beginning. So naturally, when we hit Oregon, he was off. I think he was like a day ahead of me within the first two days, or something that we left oh, that wow. we started Oregon. So I, I, I think I only saw him one time after that, and then it was just all right. It was nice knowing you, <laughs> but because of that, yeah, we will. We also had just completed a state, so we were feeling a little more comfortable breaking off and kind of doing our own thing. Uh, I know one of my trail family, Yasi, she was exactly I think one day behind me all pretty much all of Oregon um every time we'd be able to talk uh over Instagram or Facebook or whatnot yeah we would we would realize that we were probably about 20-25 miles away from each other so it was just every time I took a break she took a break we never ended up we never ended up in the same place uh, until the end of uh, the end of Oregon so yeah it was just that the, the flattening out of Oregon and how much easier it is compared to Washington made those differences much more apparent in our pacing.
2: But you did go through the Sierras with other people, correct?
0: So Yassi and I hiked probably about, I would say we probably camped together about a hundred plus days out of the 140 ish that I was on the trail. Um, We just happened to have very, very similar paces overall And we did most of the Sierra together, but near the end, she had a time constraint, but I didn't. So it was a few days before, it was Bishop, that's right. So I don't know what that is, like a hundred miles, less than a hundred miles before the end of the Sierra or something like that. So there were maybe four days or so where I wasn't, where I was alone in the Sierra and I hit the end of the Sierra by myself. And at that point, there was like, you. we could check the forecast and it was perfect. There wasn't going to be any snow. There wasn't going to be any problem. When the Sobo's that I hiked with in the Sierra, there was almost no snow anymore. So it really wasn't an issue. There was one, one or two water crossings that I just had to take my shoes off for. But it was basically stagnant water. So I wasn't super worried so or anything that something yeah I was definitely not at all worried that something was going to happen if I was alone or anything
2: how are you getting weather reports
0: uh just just online You just would check whenever there was cell service like I said there's uh we were in Bishop and so that was a really easy place up until then I, I had been hiking pretty consistently with with Yassi and that group of 12-ish Sobos we were still pretty close to each other up in the Sierra. So we would just check the weather forecast and whenever we were in town, it looked great. It really did. I don't know how we got so lucky in the Sierra. I think last year was truly, truly an amazing year to be a Southbounder, but a week out there was not going to be any rain, no snow, nothing, nothing to worry about at all. And you don't get, you don't get very much service in the Sierra. That's for sure. But you do pass enough civilization where you can at least check the weather forecast for the next week or so, maybe every four or five days.
2: I saw you make, you had a couple of mentions to looking at the forecast and choosing to stay in town an extra day or so. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. There were, I don't know what it is about. I think maybe we're just very, very excited about the trail early on. So the weather is not as big. If it's raining, it's, it's fine. We're just excited to be here. We're just happy to be here. So all of Washington, it was misty. It was cold. It was raining. I mean, it was pretty miserable. And near the end of the trail, if it was even going to maybe rain, we'd be like, is there any way we can be in town on that day? (laughs) (laughs) We got got uh, soft. We did. We got real soft. (laughs) Also, any reason to take a zero was great.
2: How did your body hold up?
0: Uh, my body was actually fine. I mean, in the desert, I took as many zeros as I did for the rest of the trail.
2: Oh, really? So I
0: was, yeah. So I I didn't actually, I didn't have any injuries. I think at this point, two of my toenails have fallen off since I have <laughs> left the trail. And I. it took me maybe three weeks to be able to walk without hobbling. But... I didn't have any lasting injuries or anything. My body actually held up pretty well, all things considered. I know there were some people who, uh, they were near the end, they really did seem like their legs were going to collapse under them as soon as they didn't have to, no, as soon as the adrenaline and endorphins weren't kind of keeping them afloat. But I was really, really lucky. I'm not sure how I got so lucky. It, it helps a lot, I think, that my bag is a lot lighter than the bags of a lot of other people because I just don't have to carry as much food. Um and I would always camel <laughs> up like crazy in the in the water sources that we'd hit in the desert because they were pretty few and far between compared to the rest of the trail. So I think that was really kind on my knees compared to a lot of other people's situations. Right.
2: So and at that, that point helped it a paid lot. to be five foot one?
0: Pretty much, yeah. It's <laughs> It, in most other ways it's not that helpful, but in that way it is.
2: <laughs> I know. I saw the the picture of it was a downed tree or something across the trail and you were <laughs> talking about trying to get over it. <laughs> it took so long. I remember that tree
0: so well. I, I when I talked to my trail family about that, I remember we all remembered that tree and I mean they were struggling to get over it and and they were taller than me. So <laughs> I, I remember um one of my I, I ended up finding another trail companion for the second half of Oregon and all of uh Northern California. So we just ended up camping together most pretty much all of the time, most of the days. And he's six foot four. So <laughs> I remember one of the first few times that we met, we were it was it was out of White Path. Uh so we left at around the same time. I left maybe just a five or 10 minutes before he did and he caught up to me very quickly and he was like I've been watching your legs and you take like three steps for every one that I do (laughs) do. (laughs) so I move a lot I got to work a lot harder to be as fast as some of those taller people out there
2: yeah but but somehow your paces seem to even out
0: yeah I mean I would hike a lot of hours every day (laughs) near the end when I was doing. I was able to do about 28 miles on average in those last 500 miles on the trail on my full days, and but a big part of that was because I hiked for 13, 14 hours a day.
2: Right, which would have put you into night hiking.
0: Yes, I night hike. Uh, once we hit the Sierra, I night hike basically every single night. Before that, I had pulled out my headlamp I think two or three times, and as soon as we hit the Sierra, it was night hiking every day.
2: How was that?
0: Terrifying at first. <laughs> I absolutely hated it at first. Uh, it was it was not comfortable for me. I don't I don't enjoy night hiking, even on day hikes. Um, I I feel very nervous being by myself in the dark. Uh, but, you know, when you end up doing it for <laughs> 30, 40 days in a row, you get used to it. And near the end especially when I just knew there really weren't very many people around and there there just was no way that a serial killer was going to be able to reach me this is way too much work for a serial killer to get out here (laughs) it it wasn't as big a deal anymore but definitely at first it took some getting used to and it took a lot of getting used to to build up to night hiking for four or five hours a day which is what ended up happening at the end because the days were so short. And we were, I was trying to pull as many miles as I could because I really wanted to just finish.
2: How many miles were you ending up doing in the dark and how easy was the trail to follow at that point?
1: So in the,
0: pretty much the PCV all across the board is very easy to follow, even in the dark. It's an extremely well-maintained trail for the most part. I can think of only one time where I got very, very lost. (laughs) I pretty much just went off trail for two miles and didn't realize it for those two miles. But that was because I wasn't paying attention. There was a, there was a sign. Uh, I just took the wrong turn because I wasn't paying attention. So even in the dark, it's really actually quite easy to follow and gut hook is great. I'm sure that everyone who hikes the trail can tell you all of the wonderful things about gut hook, but because it's got your location also it's almost impossible to get lost unless for some reason you lose your headlamp and your phone at the same time which that would be really (laughs) unfortunate and I really hope that doesn't happen to you but I imagine that does not happen to most people so yeah it was it wasn't a problem there were other things I was afraid of happening in the dark like getting eaten by a bear or something but getting lost was fortunately not one of them
2: how was your Big animal experience out there.
0: Oh, so lame. I didn't see anything. I saw (laughs) I saw three bears. (laughs) I only saw three bears and it was all at the same time in Northern California. Although one of them so this was weird, and I don't think I imagined this, but I wasn't able to get a photo because they ran off pretty much as soon as I saw them. Uh but one of them was like a whitish gray color. So it was a mama bear and two baby bears, and one of the baby ones was was this lightish color and i'm wondering if that was like an albino bear or something because it was absolutely bizarre. Uh <laughs> that would have been really cool if it was but i yeah. wasn't able to actually take a photo or anything because like i said they ran off very very quickly. Um and be- like after that experience i really wasn't nervous of the bears that much anymore because they seemed as skittish around me as i would have been around them if they stuck around. I did see a porcupine on the trail. That was pretty cool except it was also terrifying because it was in the that was in the dark in the Sierra when I was still getting used to night hiking all the time and it was just sitting in the middle it was this giant (laughs) porcupine and it was just sitting in the middle of the trail and usually when I was night hiking that early on I would listen I would listen to audiobooks to distract myself and so it just it sort of appeared out of nowhere because I wasn't watching for it. And when my headlamp sh- uh, shone on it, the its eyes just reflected back at me, and I was like, "Oh my god, what is that?" So thank goodness I saw it before I stepped on it or something.
2: Well, I'm surprised that it didn't it didn't uh, raise up the quills and and do the whole bit.
0: Yeah, it didn't. It really didn't do much. It sort of just looked at me and then walked away. <laughs> It it clearly didn't care that I was there, whereas I was like, "Oh, hello there."
2: Yeah, to me that would be almost more not necessarily dangerous, but inconvenient, shall we say, um, to have gotten (laughs) that.
0: That would be really that would be really horrible, especially in this era where town is not super a frequent thing. So that would have been really really annoying
2: to deal with in the middle of nowhere. Did you have any experiences or or did you hit any rattlesnakes?
0: I did. I saw three rattlesnakes. They were all in Northern California. And every single time I was not paying super close attention. I mean, if you're walking for 10 plus hours a day, you can't stay focused on the trail all day. You'll go crazy. It'll be super exhausting. Um, and especially on a trail as well-maintained as a C C T, you really can just space out for a really long time and still be totally fine. So every time I hit one of those rattlesnakes, it, the only reason I noticed was because it started rattling at me.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that always freaked me out so much. Um, the only time it was really a problem was uh, there was one snake. It was huge. It scared the crap out of me. And it was almost on the trail. And the thing about these rattlesnakes is I don't know very much about rattlesnakes. Um, and this is the, these three, I think were the only three that I've ever gotten that close to. But at least the ones that I saw, once they saw me, they just refused to move. So this one was almost on the, tra- like practically on the trail. And unfortunately, this is not flat spot. So I would be pretty much scaling a rock or scaling down a rock if I wanted to really get off the trail and try to go around it. So that was a really fun, like, all right, we spent a good three minutes staring at this snake going, what am I going to do if this thing doesn't move? And eventually just like sort of squishing myself along the very, like as skinny as I could on the other side of the trail and like booking it past this snake. I did not like them. They made me really nervous, but luckily nothing really happened. And the other two times I saw them, um, I saw them before I would, I stepped on them or anything and it wasn't a big deal. Thank goodness.
2: Was that one coiled up or was it just kind of there?
0: Nope. All three of them were coiled up and looking ready to do something if I got close to them. (laughs) Didn't love that.
2: Yeah. I don't know if I would have had the nerves to try to slide by it like that.
0: Well, like I said, I I stared at it for a while, and I wasn't totally sure how I was going to get around this thing. But I was like, oh, it's getting dark, and I want to go to camp. And there are a lot of things that you'll do to get to camp at the end of the day.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Getting to camp and stopping walking are are huge motivators.
0: Like you said, you get stopped near the end.
2: (laughs) Yeah. There was a post that you – well, actually, I guess there's sort of the post at the very beginning when you started. I, actually, I don't remember if it was a post or if it was for your vlog. And then there's a post after you got off trail that to me are really interesting bookends. So the post that I'm talking about at the beginning was, actually, I think it was a video of you and you were talking about, you were crying and you were talking about feeling overwhelmed
1: mm-hmm. and taking it one
2: day at a time and and being afraid of not fitting in somewhere. Yep.
0: I remember that well. yeah that was really it's really tough in the beginning because you don't hey you don't have your hiker legs so everything hurts all the time and it's very lonely if you don't start with someone you don't i think we're all just still trying to figure it out and we all want to find friends but we're nervous (laughs) because it's like going it's like going to college or something right you're surrounded by all these other people who are a part of this shared experience with you but you don't know each other and you're not really sure if you're going to vibe with these people and you just feel a little like, Oh, what am I doing here? I don't know if I really, if I really fit in with these people, especially when you look around and you see people getting along really well and you're kind of still figuring it out. So um, I didn't actually, so I did the border tags because mm-hmm. you can really only start at Hearts Pass and hike the 30 miles to the border uh, with my, with my partner, Jawad and so those first four days where we were doing the border tag, it was kind of just the two of us. And that was great. It's not an experience I would have changed, uh, but it did mean that I wasn't specifically looking for friends um, during those four days. And I was still just, I mean, I was terrified to start the trail. So I was just getting used to the fact that I was starting out this really, really, really long backpacking trip. Um, so it was right. That video that you're talking about was, pretty much like i think the day after he left and i was really starting to hike by myself for the first time on the pct and it was really really i think it all just happened at the same time just i realized okay i'm sad that my partner's left i'm alone right now i was i was not only feeling emotionally alone but i was literally alone in that moment um and i hadn't seen very many people that day uh and and that stretch is tough like the Northern Cascades are not kind. And so there were all these things happening at the same time. And it is true what they say about, you know, the North Cascades really beating you down when you're a sobo. It, it's not, you're getting dropped in the deep end when you start as a southbounder. Uh, you don't get to build up any, any leg muscles before it, unless you train. Like it, it, it starts hard and keeps being hard. So. All of those things did not really equal me being a particularly happy person in the beginning, um, which is fine. Looking back on it, I'm like, it's okay, past Tiffany. You're going to be totally fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but obviously in the moment, I knew no such thing. Uh, yeah. and, but it was only those first few days, after, maybe two days, I want to say, after finishing up the border tag um, where I felt that feeling so strongly. Because I, like, hadn't really talked to anyone except for a few people at Hearts Pass. And it was right before hitting, oh, what was it, Rainy Pass, I think, Highway 20, where about five miles out from it, I was, I passed by another hiker. And we we just said, you know, hi, um, how are you doing? And uh, maybe half a mile down the way, I decided to take my shoes off and my socks off and air them out. Because like I said, Washington was very, very wet when we were doing it. And um, the same hiker passed by me. And it was right around when I was putting my shoes and socks back on. So we ended up hiking together for the next five or so miles to Rainy Pass. And I mean, it was lovely. We just got along great. We were pacing really well together. And it wasn't even until we hit Rainy Pass that I realized we never even asked each other our names. We were just hiking together for five miles. And it was great. And it made me really happy. And Like that was, I think, a really big turning point for me because it was so easy to have something in common with someone on the trail. And I realized it in that moment. Like this is a huge thing that we've decided to do. Like all of us have put our lives on hold for a little bit, um, in whatever way that means for you. And we really bonded over, over that. I mean, he, I know we, we shared some of the same struggles with work before coming out here and like feelings about work before heading out on the trail. And, um, and he, he's from the UK. So he got to talk a little bit about how that process went. Cause I had it real easy. I mean, I drove to Heart's pass, <laughs> whereas he had to deal with a lot of other stuff. Uh, and, and like I said, it was just crazy to me how easy it was um to make that friend. So and this is this is uh Ollie, the guy that I mentioned earlier who was like, you know, ran right out of the gate out of Cascade Locks. And and so he was my first friend and it was really, really I mean, I'm so grateful to him because he is pretty much the reason I started feeling not the way that I felt in that video um you're referencing. And that it was maybe the next day or two that I met the rest of my Trail family. We didn't know at the time, but we ended up hiking together for the whole the whole state of Washington.
2: It sounds a little bit like the first day of kindergarten, and and you're looking around at all these people that you don't know, and you're wondering who will be your friend. And yeah,
0: two hundred percent, it's that. (laughs) How that's gonna,
2: you know, because you everybody feels so alone at that moment.
0: Yeah, you do, and you don't realize the thing that you don't realize in that moment is everyone else is feeling the same way. So. But near, I guess after a while, it just became so easy to make friends. And a lot of the time, it was actually a problem because I would meet someone really like them, then realize all I knew about them was their trail name. And so there was like no way I was ever going to be able to find them on social media or like talk to them again if our paces were different. (laughs) So pretty soon I started asking for people who I really enjoyed talking to or got along with really well uh, to connect somewhere because there was a very large chance that you would never see them again if you paced differently.
2: (laughs) Did you reach out to any of those people or did they reach out to you after you guys finished the trail as some version of, of connection and, and again, not feeling so, I guess, alone?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, There are some things that are definitely a little tough to relate to if you haven't been through the experience of doing a long distance hike. I remember I shared a, an an Instagram story, a photo, uh, of the protein bar section of a grocery store and <laughs> captioned it something like still still finding this without meaning to in every grocery store my favorite section of when you're on the trail and i remember a lot of the responses that i got were from hikers like oh i totally get that so there's a lot of a lot of that and it's exciting to see where people Go after the trail. I know a lot of the people who I hiked with are going out and hiking other things. And that's really exciting. It's really exciting to hear about where it is they're going. When I came back and I was really deep in the dump, I did one of the other things that I did was I planned a trip to Denver and I got to see two of my Washington trail family members and that was really, really great. So it's nice to definitely nice to keep in contact with them. And they're a group of people that get it, like really, really get it because they're living it. Those so feelings that you have after the trail, the feelings that you had on the trail. It is tough to, I think, talk to people who haven't gone through that experience because it's, it's, it's a pretty unique experience to like leave society for five, six X number of months and come back. It's just, it's a very strange experience. And, and I know it also really, really helps to, this might sound bad, but it helps to know if people are also struggling with it because you know that you're not alone. I recently just had a really good conversation with um, one of my, actually I've had two conversations with two of my X trail family members and I know that they're also struggling with a lot of it. And it's nice to know that I'm not just crazy, that I'm not just weak, that I'm not abnormal.
2: It's so interesting that, I I think you just really highlighted something that I hadn't really thought about before, but that is so important. And you kind of were highlighting it before when you were talking about just, you know, when you first started the trail and, and being, you know, terrified, would you make friends and that kind of stuff? But is that we have a tendency to think that we're the only person experiencing that because nobody else is talking about it or nobody else is is making taking steps in terms of reaching out or, or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then you start to talk about it and you realize that, oh, yeah, everybody's feeling the same way. Everybody's going through the same thing. And that suddenly makes it all better. It doesn't make it easier. It just makes it better.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think we're all really good support systems for each other, both on and off the trail.
2: But but which begs the question, which is sort of, I guess, in my head, which begs the question of – I and I laugh at myself because I know I do it all the time as well, you know, <laughs> where you're like, well, duh. Like, of course, everybody's having the same reactions. <laughs> like, why are we not having these conversations? But we're not. I, like, this is – I'm being silly it's, again. Yeah.
0: It's tough because I – I don't think you're going to find very many people who have done something like complete a through hike of the PCT or do an extremely long section hike who say, man, I really regret doing that. But you're also not going to find very many people that go, and it was easy. (laughs) Because it's not like there are so many, there were so many times on the trail. I can remember where I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to get off the trail. Like I, I don't think that I can finish this thing. And it happens to everyone. I, it, it, was, it was easy to see when you're actually out there and you're among people who are doing the same thing. But when you look on social media, I mean, it's obvious, like you said, it's obvious, of course, of course everyone's feeling these things, but it's not the fun thing to talk about. And it's also just not really one of the things that you remember. Like all of the things that if I'm pulling up memories from the trail, even just to myself, it's all of the positive things that I remember. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's like, I'm not even sure where I'm going with this, but it's tough to, to, it's, it's tough to realize you are not alone in your negative feelings because the trail as a whole is such a positive experience.
2: And actually that, that leads into the, second question that I had previously Uh, for the post that you had at the end of the trail, or I guess it was actually after the trail and and your comment was, and it's an interesting comment because it's a comment that I, you see a lot across the board about social media, which is that people post the fun stuff, the pretty stuff, the good day, good moment stuff, but they don't necessarily post the other stuff, which Mm -hmm. is that it's hard that this is painful, that I'm beaten down Mm -hmm. stuff. So I guess because you actually specifically mentioned it after the fact or after you got off trail, like what was your thought process in that, um, in terms of not posting that stuff or did it, did it just did not even come to mind in the moment? I think
0: it's part of it is that it's just not like, it's not what I remember. I remember the, the absolute lowest parts that I had, the, the absolute lowest points that I had on the trail. I remember those. But so before, before you called me, uh, just now, I decided to look through some of my diary entries, uh, over the course of my through hike because I haven't looked through them in a while. And there are actually quite a few entries in there where I had forgotten that that was a tough day. I had forgotten that that day really, really sucked. I had forgotten that that section was horrible and yeah I just I don't remember them and I think that part of that is great I mean of course I want to remember the the good parts, but I've also tried to relay that it's not easy the the trail itself I know there was one post that I put out also and it was of my absolute lowest point on the trail. And I like very, of course, I posted it after the fact. So this is after I had gotten kind of over those very, very emotional moments that I was dealing with in that moment. But I, I just think that we kind of forget when we go back and look through the photos, we took photos of the things that we found pretty, not the photos of the very boring Sections or the the like horrible the horrible rainy weather like we just we it's it's not a time where I pull out my phone and make memories that I can go back and look through. Of course, there are moments that I'm making memories in my head, but because you're living practically on endorphins and adrenaline, <laughs> <laughs> those moments might seem I don't know all right in when it's actually happening, um, but you like you forget about it later. About a lot of those those tough moments, I certainly, like I said, when I was looking through my diary entries, I don't remember these bad moments. Uh, a lot of the bad moments that I came across, <laughs> or I, I go, oh yeah, I totally forgot that happened.
2: It's it, yeah, it is so interesting how how quickly we get amnesia.
0: <laughs> Seriously, and it again, I I think that no matter what my experience was, so even kind of still being in a little bit of a slump. I, you're never going to hear me say, man, that wasn't worth the pain. It was, it was completely worth every single horrible day, horrible section, whatever that I had to deal with. It was, it was incredible, but it of course does not mean that I did not have those moments. They were definitely there. (laughs) And that, and sometimes I got very, very heated in my, in my little journal that I had.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like I guess I'm going to make a sports analogy, but you celebrate the wins, you celebrate the good days, but you learn the most in the bad days.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And, and I also think that definitely that's when you learn that you, those are the days where you realize you can do it when you get through them. Um, I, I, one of the toughest parts for not just me, but a lot of the people that I was hiking near or with, when we hit the midpoint uh, around 1,300 miles, that was a really tough point for a lot of us because it's so exciting to hit the midpoint because you're, of course, you're halfway through. That's amazing, and you walk 1,300 miles. That's amazing, and then you realize you have to do it again, and it wasn't <laughs> easy the first time, <laughs> and so that was that was really tough, and. I think for a lot of people, it's only after that point. It's somewhere in the second half where you really think to yourself, yeah, I think I can actually do this. I mean, I got past that halfway hump and I really think that I can do this now. And yeah, it was only after those really, really tough days where I realized that barring any injury or something that would really take me off the trail, there's no reason for me to think that I can't do it. It's not those super happy days where... I, this, it's the, the the happy days are the ones where I don't want to get off the trail, of course, but it was after the really tough days where I thought, you know what, I think this is, I think it's o- it's okay for me to think that I can do this. You know, I'm almost giving myself permission to be optimistic about it, rather than thinking I'm going to
2: fail. I had, I totally had a question there. And I just, I got caught up in your story. Um, so, <laughs> so, give, so give me a second here. No, you're all good. <laughs>
0: I'm almost glad that makes me sound like I'm compelling or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what was your toughest day out there?
0: Oh, I remember this day so well. <laughs> so it was, it was the day that I got into Sierra City in Northern California. At least that's the one that I remember the most. There were certainly other low days, but that was a really tough day. So I was with Blue, who is the guy who I hiked with half of Oregon and all of NorCal. Um, and we had set up camp about 10 miles before getting to, before hitting Sierra City. And Sierra City is not a very big town. There's not really a store. You have to ship your, you have to ship a resupply there pretty much. And there's not too much to do. So you ship to the general store if you have a resupply box. And When I got to camp, Blue stuck his head out of his tent and he was like, so I passed the northbounder and he says that the general store is going to be closed tomorrow. And unfortunately when you're in NorCal, you're still, if you're a southbounder, you're very aware of the fact that you have to get through the Sierra before it starts snowing. So pretty much the first like 2000 miles you're, you're racing to get through the Sierra. So losing a day is not the best. So we were just hoping that that wasn't true, but We, we you know, there wasn't much we could do about it at that point. So we slept and woke up the next morning and just kind of booked it to Sierra City to make sure that we could actually pick up our boxes. It started raining really, really hard, maybe a mile out from where I was. And that, man, that section down to Sierra City is beautiful. It was like five miles before. It's like, it's totally exposed. You're walking along a ridge, um, and it's a very, very beautiful, you can, it's, it's one of those situations where it's this huge mountain and you can see the switchbacks going down the mountain and it's just so cool. I just, it was a really, really beautiful section, which I have no photos of for a reason I will get to in just a second. <laughs> like so,
1: reason.
0: <laughs> so, uh, anyway, it, it starts just dumping rain. I'm watching this huge cloud. Racing toward me from behind, so I'm thinking to myself, maybe I can beat it. Maybe I won't get stuck in the rain. That's I don't. There's no reason for me to have thought that. So I was being very <laughs> optimistic. So anyway, um, I, I pretty much I was almost to the point where you're walking basically along the top of the mountain on a ridge, and it starts I start hearing thunder, and I got very, very, very nervous. And it was around here that the rain cloud got right right over me and I don't know if there's there's that whole thing you can do where you listen for thunder and watch for lightning and the time in between that if you Mm -hmm. count the second I think it's if you count the seconds you like multiply by five and that's how far away in miles it is yeah so the lightning and thunder were happening at the exact same time so I knew that the storm was right right above me and that made me extremely nervous because I'm I'm the tallest thing around I'm at the top of a mountain and of course I'm holding my aluminum poles so that's great (laughs) all of that is really really good I'm basically a walking antenna so I'm like breaking it down I'm freezing I I have stopped being able to feel any of my toes my fingers were just they were hardly functioning anymore I was so so happy to reach the tree line. But I knew that I mean you can like I said, you can see the switchback, so I knew there was so much left to go. I probably still had five miles at this point before I got into town and the rain was just getting harder. <sighs> I still I'm still remembering that day. You're reliving um, it. <laughs> it was a tough day. So I can't pull out my phone because I can't feel my fingers. Uh I'm just getting completely dumped on. My rain was this I think this was when my raincoat yeah, so I have the cheap frog tog raincoat that a lot of people get because it's fifteen dollars or something on Amazon and um it, it will keep you dry. Uh but pro tip, do not throw them in the dryer because it will melt. So um <laughs> this know. is what I had to wear <laughs> when I was uh doing this section. So I'm stoked on the inside. Like I I want so badly for this coat to work and it is not. I'm soaked. I'm cold. I can't pull up my phone to see how far away I am from town. And finally, 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 I don't, it's, it's one of those cruel ends where the trail, um, gets really, really close to the highway and then starts paralleling it for a little while. And you're like, why? Why am I not getting to the highway? Why am I still walking? So I finally make it to the highway and it's a mile or so walk from where the trail meets the highway to the actual town of Sierra City. So I start walking towards Sierra City and this amazing couple, they're so kind, they stop for me and they ask if I want to ride to Sierra City. And I was like, you don't even know. I'm going to start crying right now. You don't even know how miserable I am right now. I get into town and um, I see Blue. He got there before me and he was like, yeah, so the general store is closed and nothing is open because it's such a small town that just nothing is open on Monday. They just don't open. So there was really nowhere for us to go. There was one lodge about a quarter mile outside of town. And we were like, you know what, we will pay. We're going to pay to stay here. There were probably at least five or six other hikers who had made it there around the same time we did. And none of us had planned to stay in Sierra City. But there was really no other option. We were soaking wet. We didn't have food. And, and it was just like, it was a bad situation all around. Thank goodness it was a town day. So anyway, we decide, yeah, we decide that we're going to go to stay at this lodge. And I try to turn my phone on. And of course, it will not do that. It will not turn on. So I'm hoping that it's because it's run out of battery or something. I'm very optimistic. And it ends up not being any anything optimistic at all. It's just my phone is completely dead, which is bad because Yes, a lot of people say it's good to carry paper maps, it's good to have a compass, and it's good to know how to use them. The fact of the matter is that a lot of people on the trail don't. They rely completely on gut hook, and I'll admit that I'm one of those people. So I didn't really have much choice. Um, I had just lost my only form of navigation. And Sierra City is, again, very small. It's not like they have an AT&T store down the way. So that was not a great day. I ended up staying inside and just watching Tom Cruise movies all day because there was nothing else on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise will make everything feel better.
0: <laughs> I mean, he's like pretty much the same character in every movie, so it didn't yes, really, it was fine. <laughs> yeah, that was tough. That was one of the days where I thought to myself, no, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I really, really don't. I called. So so they had a they had a courtesy phone, thank goodness, in the lobby of the lodge, and I used it a few times to call up Joy. I so I didn't have his phone number memorized uh, because why would I? Because I normally have my phone. I (laughs) I normally have my phone, so it's not usually a problem.
2: Well, I don't think anybody does though. (laughs)
0: Really, it took me a while to memorize my own. Yeah, I know exactly. It took me forever to memorize mine. So yeah, it's just it's like not something that I've ever had to do. So thanks. God, I had my Garmin InReach, um, and I figured out that there is a way to. It was a, it was complicated, but felt like the easiest thing on my Garmin InReach Mini to figure out how you get the contact information for the people that you've been messaging. But I eventually figured it out I was able to get his phone number from there. And of course, he's one of those people that doesn't pick up for a random number. so I had to call it like, four <laughs> times for him to pick up the phone. And when I when I called him, I was like, "Dude, I want to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. Like this is the worst and I'm cold and oh, I just want to go home. And I think I even asked him, like, would it be okay if I came home almost. I, I so badly didn't want I
2: you wanted somebody I to give you permission want- to go home.
0: Pretty much. Yeah. I wanted someone to validate this feeling that I was having, but he was, I mean, he talked me down. He knew he, I told him before I left that I knew this was something I wanted, that I wanted to finish the trail and I knew it wasn't going to be easy. So he knew how to talk me down off the ledge. Um, and I felt a lot better afterwards. And, uh, he actually, he's, I really don't think I would have finished the trail without him. He, um, actually has his main office is in the Bay Area and South Lake Tahoe is a few hours drive away from the Bay Area and South Lake Tahoe is pretty much on the trail it's like a little it's a hitch away from the trail and what most people would probably consider the end of NorCal so it's 100 miles from Sierra City and I Jawad said something like look would it would it help you at all if I came to see you in South Lake Tahoe you know would, would that be something that would help you get through this section?" And it was, it was exactly what I needed. He, I mean, he's, he's just great. Without him, I don't think that I would have been able to get through that particular moment. That was a really, really awful day.
2: I guess one of the big lessons that you learned from the trail is that the phones are not waterproof.
0: They're not waterproof, nope. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, like, okay, so this is also the, the one of the more terrible parts At this point in the trail, I was hiking with Blue and Yahtzee, and it was it was like the three of us have been camping together for a little while, and so all three of us ended up in Sierra City that that day, and it was in my head I was thinking it was going to be okay because Blue and uh, Yahtzee would have their phones, and maybe I could just sort of glom onto one of them until I got to South Lake Tahoe because 100 miles is really not too much by that Mm -hmm. by that point on the trail; it's maybe four days. And (laughs) yeah, but uh, the next morning, Yassi wakes up and finds out that her phone's not turning on either. (laughs) So all we have is Blue's phone, and he is solidly one foot plus taller than us. (laughs) (laughs) So we try, we try so hard to make it work. I mean, we end up doing something like 20 miles the day out of your city. But it was tough and scary. Highly would not recommend like again, the trail is really easy to see. It's very easy to follow, but you become very reliant on some form of navigation. Reasonably in my opinion. Um so not having that was like oh man, it felt I felt like I wasn't wearing clothes or something. I felt totally, totally exposed and naked. It was it was Actually, a little concerning uh, how reliant I was on hook of navigation. But we make it those 20 miles and I'm just like, you know what? I can't, I can't, I don't think I can do this. This is a very uncomfortable situation for me. And so when we get to Highway 80, I end up hitching from Truckee to South Lake Tahoe to the end of NorCal. Um, and Joab's waiting for me there with a the new phone. And that was the right decision. At the time, that was definitely what I needed to do. It was not a safe situation. There was going to be a storm a day or so after we hit Highway 80. And at that point, it's like 60 miles to South Lake Tahoe. So I was like, no, this is a bad situation. This is how I get search and rescue called on me.
2: How did what did Yahtzee end up doing?
0: So she also ended up uh skipping this section, although later we were able to come back and do it when we finished this year.
2: Cause you you had skipped a couple of sections and I know you came back and did that section. Did you other did you ever go back and do the other section?
0: Yeah, actually. This is so this was actually um that was such a fun week for me. So <laughs> I <laughs> the day before I hit Kennedy Meadows. South, I was I'd been thinking about it about going back up and seeing if I could finish up those two seconds so the one section was the one I just brought up highway 80 to echo summit which is basically Truckee to south of Tahoe and then the other section was um swallowing meadows to Red meadow in the beginning of this era, which is about 35 miles or so uh, so the day before I hit Kennedy Meadows, I'm thinking about it. And then I end up talking to some guy. Oh, uh, there were a bunch of Sobos around because, uh, Mount Whitney is pretty much right before that. And everyone stops at Mount Whitney so that we can summit. So there's was a large group and there was one guy who was just asking people how we were feeling about the desert. No, we're finished with the Sierra. Theoretically we're like done with the hard, all the hard parts. And some someone responds that they're thinking about when they get to Kennedy Meadows, hitching back up north to finish some sections they missed. And I was like, OK, well, this guy's thinking about doing it. And so now I feel like I should do it. And then I got a message from Jawad unsolicited saying, hey, so I'm not trying to tell you to do anything and like totally ignore this if you don't want to do it. But I know you and I think you're going to regret it if you don't go up and do those sections. But again, like, don't. Listen to me if that doesn't sound like what you want to do. So I was like, all right, well, now it really seems like you go up and do those sections. And then right before I hit Kennedy Meadows, the day before, I think, uh, I looked at the weather forecast. And it was perfect. Up north, it was, it was perfect for the next 10 days. I was like, okay, fine. Fine, universe. I'll do it. And I so I like book it to Kennedy Meadows. Um, I get there around 1 p.m. And I literally pick up my box room. Oh no, I don't even pick up my box from Kennedy Meadows because I'll use it for my when I get back. Oh. Yeah, I just stick out my thumb and I start hitching. It takes me five separate hitches to get up to Mammoth Lakes, about two hundred miles north. Um, it was so much fun. Before I started the trail, I didn't want to hitchhike at all because well a big part of it is because I'm female and mm-hmm. um and five it, foot
2: one. It, yeah,
0: yeah it's, <laughs> basically, I wouldn't be able to fight off a murderer if they were they were going to do that. Uh, and it's like, of course, iffy to get in a car yeah. with people you don't know. I mean, yeah, it's it's. I think it's been explained before why it can feel a little iffy. So, i I don't even know why I felt comfortable doing it, but I was just like. <laughs> let's just go. Sort of like when you get in line for a roller coaster, you're like, all right, I've committed. So we got to keep going. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the the people who gave me were they, they were so, so, so nice. I think there's just something about people who are willing to stop for a dirty hiker on the side of the road and willing to drive them somewhere. Um, so it was really great. I they it up to Mammoth Lakes and I... Uh, do that section that we missed from, from Tuolumne Meadows to Red Meadow. And we had actually originally missed that section also due to weather because, um, so Tuolumne Meadows, that's when you, that's when you're in Yosemite National Park. And the day that we got there, there was supposed to be this huge storm coming in. Snowstorm, it was supposed to get to about 10 degrees Fahrenheit, not Celsius, Fahrenheit that night. And A lot of a bunch, a large group of us, well, it's not large, but you know, when you're sobos, about eight of us. A
2: large sobo group.
0: (laughs) A large sobo group. We, uh, hitched to Lee Vining nearby and got a room there. And the guy who gave us a hitch was really nice. And again, the people who offer, um, hitches, they're just all really interesting people. So this guy was really interesting because he was talking about how he and his wife used to own a farm. And and after they were finished with that and didn't want to do it anymore, they bought this truck and decided to just live on the road with their horses in tow in a horse trailer. And now they just like live in national parks and forests because that's a thing that you can do, I guess. I didn't realize that you could just stay in them for up to 14 to 28 days in a lot of them. So they would just set up camp somewhere, hang out for a month and then move to another location um and i just like i thought that was super super cool anyway this guy was really nice he like walked up to him in the parking lot and he was immediately like yeah sure i'll take you wherever you need to go so i finished that section and Yaski had gotten off the trail briefly because she had a wedding to go to and it just so happened that i finished up my section pretty much a day before she was supposed to fly back onto the trail so we we coordinated a little bit and we realized she could fly into Reno instead and then get a ride over to Truckee and we could do that section together we could do that Truckee to south lake Tahoe section together so all i needed to do was get a hitch um up to Truckee or or somewhere north my plan was to um my plan was to hitch to Reno because i assumed more people would be going to Reno And maybe I'd be able to get an easier hitch that way because I assumed not very many people were going to be going to Truckee. And, uh, so when I finished that 12 meter red meadows section, I, it takes me forever to get a hitch out of the, out of the park. But after that, I stick out my thumb and a very nice woman stops and gets out of her car and tells me how I'm not going to get a hitch out of here. And I was like, well, not with you talking to me. I don't even know why she bothered. So anyway, the next car that stops for me is this guy who, um, asked me where I'm headed. And I said, anywhere north, like I, I'm 150 miles from where I need to be. So just wherever it is that you're going, as long as you're willing to take me up further, that would be great. He was like, well, I'm headed up to Truckee. And I was like, you're what? (laughs) So he, yeah. So I, I took a three and a half hour hitch with this guy and it was like the most perfect thing ever. I meet up with Yassi and we do that 70 mile section together and we end up hitching back. And it was, I mean, it was like, it was so, so much fun, but it was way harder for us to hitch back to Kennedy Meadows South than my experience hiking or hitching from Kennedy Meadows South all the way up North. So the first day that we start trying to hitch back to Kennedy Meadows South, we're only able to get maybe, uh, probably within like a hundred miles of Kennedy Meadows South before it got too dark. And, and we were in Lone Pine. So we figured we could just get a room to stay and then continue hitching the next day. So that's what we ended up doing. We stay the night in Lone Pine. And, um, at this point, yeah, I, I think it was something like 60, 80, hundred, I don't know, some large number of miles away from Kennedy Meadows and Yati decides to stay in town a little longer. So I start getting ready to hitch and a really nice woman stops for me and um, offers to bring me further south. And so we get to talking and she starts telling me, we like start talking about my life and her life. And she tells me a little about uh, how she and her husband used to own a farm and they stopped owning their farm. And now they just drive around in their truck with their two horses and a horse trailer behind them. And at this point in her story, I'm sort of like, this sounds a little familiar. And then she starts telling me about how they live in national parks and forests. <laughs> and, and, um, and how they've been doing that for a while and they both work remotely. And I was like, this is sounding even more familiar. And then she says, yeah, I, I wasn't actually going to stop for you, but my husband a few weeks back picked up a couple of hikers from Yosemite and brought them into town. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and we, yeah, so we talked a little bit more and I realized, well, we realized that her husband was the one who gave us a ride from quality meadows to lee Bining, like three weeks prior a hundred miles north of here it was like it was crazy and man the trail the, the trail makes you very aware of just i don't know how small the world is it, it was i think that is one of my favorite experiences on the trail and it didn't even have anything to do with hiking
2: the universe will provide pretty much <laughs> Do you find yourself trusting more, I guess, in the universe, so to speak? I think so.
0: I I was very, very type A before I left for this trail. And that is not to say that I'm not still type A after the trail, but
2: <laughs> some I just think, don't change. But.
0: <laughs> I think I'm much less so so Like I I know before I started thinking about hiking the PCT. I was uncomfortable if I didn't kind of know what my next five years looked like
1: Mm
0: -hmm. from a very young age. Life was very set for me. Uh, I knew I was going to go to school. I, my parents were very clear that I was going to college. So everything was just very clear and laid out. And I always knew what was coming up. And I mean, I'm sitting here right now and I'm able to tell you that I don't know what the next, two years is going to look like. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, like you said, the, the, the universe will figure it out for me. I'll, I'll go wherever it tells me to, and I'm okay with that. You know, it's, it's nice. And it's freeing to have that feeling where I think to myself, things are going to be okay. <laughs> what that means. I'm not totally sure yet, but it's okay to not know what's coming up right away.
2: It is Freeing. I mean, and even I, before I even get out there, because I'm, I'm taking a leap of faith on, on, in doing it. I think everybody kind of does. And even just in doing that small thing, you know, you're sort of like, okay, I don't know what's coming next, but I trust that, that it will be something. And it probably won't even be something that I would have picked for myself at this moment because Mm -hmm. I will have changed. And I'll be looking at different and looking for different things when that moment arrives.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I really do think that the well, the trail is like very unkind to plans to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just not you, you. You get used to not planning very much. <laughs> very mm-hmm. quickly on the trail because you're going to be disappointed very very quickly if you are very committed to certain plans. So, I think it's very humbling in that way. You realize that a lot of things are out of your control, but you also realize that in a lot of cases that's okay.
2: Or that you can figure things out.
0: Exactly. When
2: whatever comes comes.
0: Exactly. I and and even in a non a uh, philosophical or intangible <laughs> way. Like that is just for future through hikers. That is totally a thing that everyone does on the trail. You can change your shoes out on the trail. You can change your gear out on the trail. It, it's okay if you don't have it completely figured out before you leave. In fact, I think in a lot of ways that is the right way to do it. So yeah, don't, don't plan too much because you will likely be very disappointed.
2: Or you'll be very frustrated. One of the two. Very, very frustrated. <laughs> so you had, a, in your Instagram, you had this quote that I absolutely love. And it was, I have so many regrets and they're all on my back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I remember
0: that. <laughs> yeah, that was out of Snoqualmie Uh That was a, yeah, because it's, um... It's a really long stretch. I think it was something like, oh gosh, six, six days or something. I don't remember, but it was after the, uh, hiker hunger started to hit for me. So my God, I was carrying so much food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, it is definitely true what people say grams turn into ounces and ounces turn into pounds. It, It, you move a lot faster and it's a lot less painful when your gear is light. I know that's not, feasible for a lot of people if the price or the availability isn't isn't doesn't work for you but any way that you can cut down on weight that still allows you to be functional and comfortable makes
1: makes a really big difference
0: (laughs) (laughs) you also get a lot stronger though um later on so even though a lot of people are very conscientious about weight early on and i know i was one of those people before i got on the trail that very much started subscribing to the idea of being ultra light i think for a lot of people later on uh in the in the trek they they stop caring so much about weight later on when you're stronger it's like well i'll carry a bunch of bananas out that's fine (laughs) (laughs)
2: i'll carry some bananas i'll carry a half a pizza
0: (laughs) well it's funny because the um So, you know, the halfway anywhere, uh, surveys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to look at the base weight at the beginning and end of the average hiker that takes the survey, because I actually had the, uh, it, the results tend to show that people who successfully complete a through hike, their base weight is lighter at the end of the trail than at the beginning of the trail. My base weight at the end of the trail was definitely higher than my base weight at the beginning of the trail. I just started carrying stuff that made me feel more comfortable. Uh, and yeah. weight just wasn't as much of a factor because my legs at that point could carry me.
2: Your body was strong. And so you weren't feeling the difference.
0: Yeah. And, and, and of course, specifically for Southbounders, the terrain is much easier. So yeah. it's not as, it's not as horrible in all of the ways.
2: Were the, were the regrets on your back just the food or were there other things in your pack that, because another big quote for the through hikers is that you carry your fears.
0: Yeah. I was very good at carrying my fears through the beginning of the hike. Yeah. I, I would say in Washington I was, so I carried um like in the beginning, I carried my micro spikes and my umbrella. I dropped the umbrella Almost right away, I had to drive it home from Mark's Pass because it was just—I mean, it was so clearly pointless. I don't know why I didn't realize this because I live in Washington, but Washington rain just isn't what it people come straight down. It sure doesn't. So, it's having an umbrella just wasn't going to help me there. Uh, my stuff was going to get all wet anyway if it was going to be any sort of rainy. So, the umbrella was pretty pointless. And it also, um, one of the reasons the umbrella is nice is if it's really sunny. Well, it sure wasn't that when we were in Washington. <laughs> there was essentially eight ounces that I was carrying that weren't necessary. Same um, with the Like I was nervous about the snow. And by the time we'd hit in about 50, question mark, miles south of Heart Pass, um, it it was just not necessary. There was absolutely nothing on the ground, but I certainly carried those for much longer than I needed to. So along the trail, especially in the beginning, I definitely carried things that I didn't need, but I was very nervous. But like I said, before I left the trail, I was like particularly type A. I wanted to be prepared for everything and Yes, in a lot of ways that meant that I was carrying way too many things that I didn't need. And when you're as tall as I am, it is definitely, like you don't want a base weight, the same base weight as someone who is 6'2". Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not reasonable. So yeah, I definitely in the beginning carried a lot of my fears and that turned into a lot of regret. <laughs> It's in the moment. In the moment anyway. At this point I can't even remember it. So again, there's that me forgetting all of the painful parts.
2: <laughs> As we often do.
0: It's great though. Now I can talk about how happy I was on the trail.
2: <laughs> exactly. All you remember are the good times. I think that's that's my new favorite point. I carried a lot of fears that turned into regrets.
0: <laughs> and it's okay though. Like the thing is it's it's okay to carry your fears because mm-hmm as long as you're not breaking your back or knees doing it, if it helps you feel more comfortable on the trail, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's one of the things that I came away from, that I came away with from the trail that I'm really happy about. Because when I was reading things online about people being ultra light and, and like people sharing their, their packs online and everything... I was getting really, really overwhelmed. And I was like, oh, man, do I want like, like, should I cut the handle off my toothbrush type thing? I was wondering all of those things. Cut all um, the extra straps. <laughs> yeah. And so it was funny that I even ended up carrying things like an umbrella. Uh, but in any case, I was carrying quite a few things, though, that made me feel safer. And at the same time, I also didn't carry some things that I wish that I like shouldn't that I wanted to carry with me in theory so like camp shoes I didn't carry those for pretty much all of Washington and I regret that kind of because camp shoes are great and they make camp more comfortable but whenever I was online reading stuff about that it was was always like camp shoes are a luxury you don't need that pillows are a luxury you don't need that and to that I say that's cool advice but don't necessarily if you want to bring your pillow then bring your pillow you can send it home if you don't want it again you can you can make changes on the trail and it's actually very very easy to do so uh especially if you're going northbound because there are so many towns that you hit early on it's a little harder for southbounders, but honestly it's it's not it's like not a big deal to change out your gear at all um so yeah, I don't remember where I was going with this, but basically I wanted my camp shoes and I brought them back and it was great. Those five ounces did not, <laughs> <laughs> did not break my well back. And it. I, <laughs> yeah. I loved having those things. <laughs>
2: yeah. No, I, but I feel like part of the reason to do the trail is to work, f- work through the fears that are, that you're carrying, you know, mm-hmm. and, and when you're ready to leave them behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you definitely
0: become, like, I think it can be very helpful easing you into the through hiking life, like changing your mindset to being a through hiker when you carry things that are comforting to you. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, I don't think, I think that it can be very scary to just jump from I've, never done a long distance hike to i'm carrying the bare minimum and i i'm not carrying any of the things that would make me comfortable or make me feel safe so i think that it's a good way to start and like you're gonna it's gonna be tough to begin with so don't make your pack too heavy don't like carry your favorite rock but, <laughs> but definitely, I think it's okay to carry some things that make you feel better. I mean, that umbrella made me feel better for those first 60 miles. I realized after those first 50 miles that I didn't need it, but it was nice to have. Same with the microspike. Like that, that extra probably, what, 11 ounces total that I was carrying helped me through those first 100 miles. And I think that that was really great. I sent them home right after and I never needed them ever again. But it was nice to have and, and later on you, you definitely learn what you need, what you want and what you don't need or want. And like, yes, you, you certainly, I also, I also think this is why it's helpful to go on a shakedown hike at some point before you leave. It's not necessary, it's not absolutely necessary, but it can help because you'll feel more comfortable with your gear out there. But I personally, I personally did carry some of my fears before I left and I, you know, it it didn't really, it didn't affect my hike practically at all, except allowing me to ease a little bit more into becoming a thru-hiker.
2: What was your favorite two pieces of gear?
0: Mm, 100% my Western Mountaineering Versa Light sleeping bag is probably my favorite piece of gear ever. That is, (laughs) I, I sleep cold, really, really cold. So that thing makes me feel like I don't know, I'm like a little caterpillar and it makes me really happy. Um, my my partner actually has it also, but he's six two. So he has the long one and I have the short one. Um <laughs> but it's great. It's it's I think for some people they would consider it overkill for the PCT. I certainly didn't. It was really hot in Oregon and California, but it's actually pretty easy to just completely unzip your sleeping bag and turn it into kind of a quilt so that was fine it wasn't a problem and in the Sierra and the desert it got really really cold sometimes so it was yeah <laughs> it was it was really really nice to have that with me uh when it got really cold as for my second favorite piece of gear it would be I think my sleeping pad I have the thermo the Thermarest x therm and up until. The up until South Lake Tahoe. So basically through Washington, Oregon and NorCal, I carried one of those, um, closed foam sleeping pads and it was fine. Like it was great. I really, the reason that I had it to begin with was because I hate blowing up sleeping pads at camp. I, it makes me lightheaded and it's just not fun. (laughs) And so I wanted something that was easy and like with a, with one of those foam pads, you just throw it out and you're done. That's it. it. Takes 10 seconds to set up and uh the problem though was this year i knew it was going to get colder and like i said i sleep cold and near the end of norcal i could start feeling the ground through my sleeping pad like it just wasn't warm enough so i got the Therm, and that thing is amazing i am not going back to a closed foam pad that's not happening that's it, it's also i also realized that i don't mind it comes it comes with like a bag that you can use to blow up your sleeping pad and so I don't get lightheaded I actually kind of find it to be a fun camp chore it's <laughs> near the end when I didn't have someone to talk to you or anything it was just kind of nice to set up camp it was like my favorite part of the day was setting up camp
2: <laughs> oh how we evolve
0: I know <laughs> but it's uh yeah I guess my sleeping system I was really really happy with at the end
2: I also saw you wearing or a couple of pictures. Actually I don't know if I saw you wearing, but you mentioned it. The the bug pants and headnets.
0: <laughs> yes. Did those, those actually pants. work?
2: How did they work? Yeah, so the, the headnet is
0: necessary in certain parts of the trail. Like it is uh Oregon in southern Washington, a lot of Oregon. And certain parts of NorCal, it was like it would have been hell without at least a head net. And especially in Washington and Oregon, those were mosquitoes specifically coming after you. So that's why I had the bug <laughs> pants. God, they're so horrible. And mosquitoes. Oh my God. Um, I I have I've talked to other thruhikers before, and I've said that if I were to get off the trail for anything, it would be bugs. That would be the thing that would really get me off the trail. <laughs> Yeah, so they're, they're mosquitoes and they're horrible and they're everywhere. And the bug pants are helpful when you're walking. So those mosquitoes will come after you while you're walking. But of course, it's harder for them to come after you when you're walking. And the head net keeps them out of your eyes and which is great. And the bug pants just keep them from stinging you. It's like, because I didn't wear pants. If I, if I was wearing pants, then it might have been different, but I was wearing shorts all of Washington, Oregon and NorCal, and so it just wasn't, like, they, they still made me really warm. The mesh actually keeps you very warm still, but it wasn't wearing full pants. Um, so when I was sitting down, it wasn't nearly as useful, but if you sort of were aware of, because they're very baggy, so if you were kind of aware of where they were further away from your legs, it could, still help It was better than nothing. Uh in the desert there were a few sections where I actually was going to go crazy because I'd sent home my bug net or my head net in the Sierra because it was just super super unnecessary and it wasn't mosquitoes in the desert but it was gnats and they were just everywhere. It was horrible. Oh my god, it was horrible. And they'd come after your eyes and your nose and your mouth specifically because I guess they're really warm, makes sense. But I didn't have my head net, and I still remember leaving. Oh, where was it? Was it leaving Tehachapi? I think uh, it was just like this section of complete hell. And I didn't have my head net, and I reached. I, I had no plans stopping uh, at Walker Pass and like heading into town because I knew it would be a hitch, and I didn't want to deal with that. So there were no plans to do that but I got to the highway and I was like, no, I can't, I cannot continue without a head net. I will go crazy. I will get off the trail. Like they were, they were everywhere. I was wearing sunglasses, a bandana around my face and they were still somehow getting into my nose and my mouth. And it was just, Oh my God, <laughs> I'm thinking back to it. And I have video clips of me um, with, with them all over my face. And it's like actually horrifying to see. <laughs> so I got off at, walker past to head into town so that I could pick up a head net because I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I needed that head net.
2: Okay. Note to self.
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't, if you send it, if you send it home in the Sierra, bring it back for either the desert or Noregal, whichever direction you're going.
2: Yeah. Jesus. When you, were, when you were doing resupplying, were you resupplying from the towns and stuff or were you sending yourself food Ahead and that kind of thing.
0: Washington was really, really nice and easy because all of the there are very few towns. So things like like Stevens Pass is an hour and a half drive from Seattle. Nesquik Pass is an hour. They're they're often very close, and so since I live in Seattle, uh, Joab was able to drive me my boxes in Washington, and so because of that, of course, it was cheaper for me to just do that and have all of my mm-hmm. resupply. But for the rest of it, uh, I actually didn't do any of my resupplies for Oregon until I hit Cascade Locks because I didn't actually ever think I would get that far. <laughs> so I ended up sending myself boxes because I have a dietary restriction. I can't have dairy without feeling like garbage. So I, because a lot of ta- uh, a lot of town food, a lot of resupply. I don't know you think of protein bars and that mm-hmm. sort of thing they have they have whey in them often yeah. and I also generally don't eat a ton of meat so I would send myself a bunch of stuff just because even with just the dairy restriction it just made it way easier for me to send myself boxes <laughs> especially when you're in the middle of nowhere there was there were a lot of towns actually I stopped in where even at the restaurants I could only order fries off the menu if I didn't want to eat something with dairy in it.
2: A diet of fries.
0: Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I did it multiple times. <laughs> multiple times.
2: <laughs> oh man, I'm not. I
0: mean, it was fine because fries. There, there were like two things that I always wanted to get in town: a latte and fries. So it was fine.
2: So it just kind of played into that.
0: Pretty much, yeah.
2: <laughs> what is one of your favorite memories from the trail,
0: Ooh. or the first one that kind of
2: comes to mind?
0: That's a good question. One, I mean, one of them was reaching that southern terminus. My God. Well, <laughs> so just because the last, I, I hiked with a few people, multiple people who had hiked the Appalachian Trail prior to hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. And the AT is about 2200 miles, whereas the PCT is 2600 miles. And it was interesting to see a lot of the AT people around 2200 miles starting to really feel the I'm done. I really want to be done. I, I don't want to walk anymore. And and I kind of I kind of felt that, too. But it was just funny to see them because I, I imagine some of them were just going "I've pretty high. I've like hiked the length of the AT. Why are we not done yet? <laughs> mm-hmm. So seriously, Definitely hitting that, um, hitting that sewing Terminus is great. There was one really, really happy moment for me where I was in, it was when I got to Tehachapi and I was just going to pick up a box. There are two trail angels there and they accept resupply boxes. So I sent them a box and I was going to stay with a trail angel in Tehachapi overnight. And she messaged me after I got to Tehachapi, telling me that she was really sorry, but she just had too much going on that day, um, so she wouldn't be able to do it. And I sort of had this mini panic attack inside because I was like, "Oh man, Tehachapi is not a very walkable town, and I need to stop in certain like I I need to get some chores done. So like, how am I going to how am I going to do this? And when I was picking up the package from these Trail Angels, they had told me they I they. In order to communicate with them, they'd given me their number so that I could pick up my package. So I had their number. And when I was picking up my package from them, they were like, yeah, sometimes we, so we definitely do the resupply package thing. Sometimes we give rides to and from the trailhead. And so I gave them, I ended up giving them a call. I was just like out of desperation. I ended up giving them a call and I was like, Hey, is there any chance you could just, I know, I know like I just left you, but is there any chance you could just drive me to the other side of town? And they were just the absolute nicest people. Um, and they, they, they not only drove me across town, but they drove me to everywhere I needed to go. And then they (laughs) let me, they let me use their space so that I could figure out my resupply for the next few towns. And they took me out to lunch. Like it was, I, I like, I still don't really have words for how happy that day was for me because it turned from a complete moment of panic to Wow, that was actually one of the happiest town times I can think of. And, and I've actually kept in contact with them. And after the trail, I almost, I almost got to see them for Thanksgiving, but it started snowing everywhere. So I wouldn't, I wasn't able to make it to Tehachapi, unfortunately, but they were just amazing, amazing people. And it, it made Tehachapi one of my favorite towns on the trail because they were so, they
2: made my experience so, so great. That's the beautiful part or most beautiful part about what the trail seems to bring out in people. It's
0: true. There's something there really is something about people who choose to hike the trail or choose to help the trail or choose to help the people who hike the trail. Um, (laughs) Like like I said, the, the people who stop for someone on the road who needs to go somewhere looking like the way that you do when you're a hiker, it's, it's, it's very, very, there's, I don't know, an openness that they have that is just very refreshing coming from a place. I mean, I live in Seattle, so we got the Seattle freeze over here a little bit and you sort of, you know, walk straight and don't look in other people's eyes um, when you're walking down the road. And, and so it was different to be in a place where everyone is open to talking about their lives, to you talking about your life, um, that's hikers, trail angels, uh, people who are peripheral to the trail in all of the ways, um, they're, they're just, it, it was, it's one of the things that I miss the most, I think is just having that. Not only do you have something in common with everyone else that you, you come across, but it's the people around the trail they're there because they care about being outside or they care about the hikers or they care about the trail itself and and to be a part of a community like that even for a short while was very special it was really really special
2: is there anything you feel like we should talk about that we haven't yet oh gosh now I can't you're
0: on think the of spot. anything. <laughs> I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I just, I just love talking about the trail. <laughs> <laughs> I know I saw that you have a start date now. Am I right?
2: I do. Yeah, <laughs> um, April fourth.
0: Very exciting
2: and terrifying all at the same time. It's great.
0: I mean, when I started, I was gonna, I was hoping I could last a week on the trail. So. It, I, it it sucks you in too. I don't know what your uh, your life plans are after, but I know of multiple. Not a clue. Well, <laughs> not I know of a lot of people who went on the trail thinking it would be a one time thing, and it's not mm-hmm. going to be a one time
2: thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and honestly, that aspect of it does scare me a little, in so much as because obviously that's that's sort of a big life change, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's welcome or not. But yeah, at this moment, I, at this moment, I gave up the job or passed on, I should say the job that Mm -hmm. I was potentially going to do this summer to hike the trail, to to keep the promise to myself to hike the trail. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, come September or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know what will be there. I don't know what I'll end up doing or where I'll go from there. So. Sounds great to me. (laughs) Like, I mean, really though,
0: it it really, really does. And it is strangely very okay with me at the moment. (laughs) It's weird to not really know exactly what my, like, again, not have my neck year, two years, five years planned out exactly the way that I had several years ago, but it's okay. And I think that's really, it's very exciting. I know that, uh, I had heard some of your previous episodes and you were talking about this other position. Um, but I, I mean, I think it sounds like either of either the trail or that job would have been an excellent, excellent decision. So I don't think that you're going to regret choosing the PCT. it sounds like they were both great options and yeah it seems like it's going to be an interesting interesting year from what I've seen uh when it comes to the Sierra weather
2: I know somebody just sent me a picture because we were having that conversation about the Sierras and and the snow and snowpack and stuff and they sent me a picture that compared a satellite photo from last year to this year and the snow is substantially less Mm Hmm
0: yeah I'm really hoping that that does not mean more wildfires, but I know I know the PCT is pretty temperamental in that way.
2: <laughs> I know, I know, but i I guess that's part of the the mental game. Of yep, just you know <laughs> accepting it I guess that that is that is what the trail that's probably one of the things that the trail will will end up teaching me is accepting.
0: Yeah, Mother Nature really doesn't care whether you wanted to walk this way or not. (laughs) So you just kind of have to deal with it, which is great because you're going to have this really awesome community of people around you who are going to find different ways to get around whatever obstacle is ahead of you. And that's really fun. It's like it is really, really fun and great and scary for a while to both have a lot of control over your... I guess, day-to-day life, but very, very little control over the maybe next week, two weeks, three weeks of your life. Mm -hmm. It'll be good.
2: (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. I feel a little bit like, and this was honestly part part of what caused me to make the decision that I made, which is even though the opportunity, the work opportunity that I had was a big one and and I had been working towards it for, you know, 30 years or 20 years or whatever it was, it's still kind of more of the same. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: I feel like with choosing to do the trail and, you know, not knowing what comes next and what have you, that it's like being in a book and turning the page to a whole new chapter. It's Mm -hmm. a whole new adventure. It's a whole new circumstance. I, I did
0: see something somewhere once. It's very, very cliche and contrived, but
1: Hmm.
0: it was something along the lines of, uh, one day or day one, your choice. You know, today can either be day one or you can sit around and just say one day and you're, you're choosing the first one. You're choosing day one. This is going to be the start of something totally new. It's really, really exciting. But I think a lot of people sit around. Waiting for something like the PCT to happen to them, and it's just not going to. (laughs) Very few, I think, very few people just have the the opportunity to hike the PCT because it happened to them. Like most of the people that I met on the trail, left something behind. They had to make a decision to do it, and and when I say most people, I mean everyone. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I mean, I didn't. I I certainly didn't just pick up and walk away. I had to make a lot of small decisions and large decisions to get to the trail to even start. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's really, really exciting that you've made that decision. It's a very, very different chapter and it's going to be great. (laughs) I'm jealous.
2: (laughs) You're you're jealous of me getting on the trail and and I'm very interested to see what your new chapter is. (laughs)
0: would you like to know
2: (laughs) i would love to know
0: uh so i don't have like i don't have long-term plans i have very short-term plans right now so i haven't told too many people this i've told people very close to me but i'm actually heading out on the arizona trail in a few weeks so that's 800 miles in arizona yeah and it's gonna be good it's Stupid because at the end of the PCT, I was like, I never want to walk again. I just want to sit and do nothing. And of course it took about, I don't know, four weeks or something for me to go, man, I would really like to hike something long again. <laughs> and, or like yeah. the triple crown sounds really good right now. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited for that. And then, uh, like I said, I had applied for a few summer jobs and I very, very, like last week or something, got an offer for a job I applied for at the local, the local YMCA. I'm going to be a wilderness instructor for groups of about 10 teenagers. Um, we'll be going backpacking for a week long trip. Wow. And I'm excited because I get to be paid to do that. Not very much, <laughs> but I do get to get paid to do it. Uh, and then I'm, I'm trying to get, uh, my partner Jawad into backpacking like me, and so we're gonna do <laughs> we're gonna do a longer thing, not as long, but I'm thinking something around 200 miles. It would be amazing to do the John Muir Trail because the whole time I was in the yeah. Sierra, I was like, I have to come back here and not do 22 miles a day, so I can actually see this stuff. <laughs> and yeah, I, I I would love to do something like that, but the permits for that are ridiculously hard to get, so we'll see about that. <laughs> It would be nice to do that. So. If not that, then we'll do the rest of Washington that he hasn't done yet.
2: <laughs> Perfect. Does he know and this
0: yet? Yes, he does. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not jumping. I'm not just going to throw that on. Hey, so next month, how about we just take three weeks off of your work?
2: <laughs> How'd you go like out to go for a long walk over many days? Yeah. <laughs>
0: over many days, like 14 of them. How does that sound? <laughs> it'll be, it'll be great. And I'm, and I don't know, I have no idea what happens after that. And that's all right. <laughs> I'm sure I'll figure it out.
2: Yep. I I realized that I have one more question or story that I wanted to get from you. Oh, please. Um, or, hear, or hear you tell, basically. And I think that was all part of the same post where you were talking about, uh, af- so this was after the trail where you were talking about having the bad days on trail, but not necessarily posting about them but you make mention about crying and screaming. And then you also make mention about throwing poles at trees. (laughs) What the heck?
0: (laughs) There's a lot of anger that comes (laughs) out in moments. Sometimes it was uh, more often on rocks and things because trees were not always available, but it was just like throwing things at the, at the closest thing that wouldn't, like bleed or (laughs) scream if you did throw something at it. There are just there are just some really, really tough sections. And even the next day you kind of forget about how horrible they were when you were walking them. But there is there are really some pretty awful parts that I barely remember unless I go back and watch the videos or look at the photos and and in that moment with all of the adrenaline in your body and like all of the just general energy you have from your body working that hard every day. It's just like, there's, there are a lot of feelings that can come out. (laughs) (laughs) So thank goodness I didn't have super fragile or light poles. So they, my, my poles stood up to a lot. I expected those to go really, really early on because I've had them for a while, but no, they stuck with me the whole time. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I I did have a lot of a lot of angry moments. <laughs> I was not very kind to all of my gear, but it was there for me in those moments. It was it was there for me when I needed to throw something at a rock or a tree.
2: <laughs> it was supportive.
0: It it was in so many ways.
2: <laughs> where can people follow you if they or where should people find you if they want to follow your continuing adventures? or want to reach out and ask you some additional questions.
0: Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm on Instagram at tiff.on.trail. So that's T I F S dot O-N dot T-R-A-I-L. And on there is a link to my web, a very, very primitive website that has another link to my blog. And you'll see me. uh, My name on Instagram would be Tiffany, AKA archives, which was my trail name on the pct and yeah that's pretty much where it would be i post a lot of photos from the pvp on instagram so if you're not into that then maybe don't
2: (laughs) fall well i think if anybody is listening to this podcast they're probably at least slightly into it
0: i hope so but i'll be posting photos of the Arizona trail hopefully very soon so that'll be exciting oh i did realize i never told you why i have my trail name
2: That is true. And I just realized when you said your trail name that I had never asked you about your trail name. So if you would like to, if you would like that to lay that on me, I will definitely uh, hear that story and add it to the end of the episode.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. I mean, it's not a particularly exciting trail name uh, or reason for the trail name. It was just Yassi. Somewhere around, oh, I remember exactly where we're we were. We were at Goat Rocks and we had set up camp and we knew that it was going to be a beautiful sunset because it was like a perfect view of Rainier, Adams, and St. Helens and it was, it was a totally clear day. And, uh, she was like, so I've been thinking about trail names for you. And I was like, really? Cause I've been waiting about at this point, 300, 400 miles for a trail name. <laughs> and she, she was like, yeah, well, I know that you're always taking videos and photos and I keep feeling guilty because I'm not taking very many of them, but I just keep thinking that you'll have them. So how about archives? And I was like, oh, I like that because I have never met anyone. I, I don't want to disparage anyone who has a trail name that is very common because i don't think that there's anything wrong with that but i did think it would be kind of cool to have one that i'd never heard before and i had never heard that one before so it was yeah it was kind of fun to have one that wasn't very known on the trail and i had multiple people tell me that along the trail that they'd never met another archive and i was like yeah
2: (laughs) score
0: <laughs> so that's it. It's not like the most exciting story, but I like I like the name and I'll keep it for any other long trails I end up doing. At least it's not poop related because that's probably <laughs> the other way a lot of people get a lot of other people get uh, their trail trail names.
2: <laughs> yes, I, I have heard that. So and I have heard you know that people say that you know you don't necessarily have to accept the first trail name or the second trail name or you know whatever that people give you.
0: Yeah, it actually wasn't my first trail name or my first offered trail name. I had uh another one of my trail family, Tice had given me um or tried to give me claws because when we got to Snaqumy Pass, everyone in my trail family needed something from town. Um but Smaqualmie Pass is not a real town. There's nothing there. Mm-hmm. It's just the skivers or the the ski lodge. And um, I was headed back into Seattle because, like I said, since Homie Pass is just an hour drive from Seattle. It's super easy to get there. So, Jawad came and picked me up. And when I came back, I like brought everyone the things that they needed. And so he was—he offered me the name Claus, as in Santa Claus, because I came back with all these things. But uh I think it was a couple of days later he actually called me that. He used he used Claus on me, and I was like, ooh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Archive kind of made me. It felt more like a trail name because I kept thinking that claws would make me sound like I have claws.
2: It does a little bit.
0: <laughs> so anyway, that's that. I've had two trail names offered to me. <laughs> but
2: I only I love one. The, I love which one you took.
0: <laughs> so do I. Like I said, I'll keep it for I'll keep it for the other trails that I do.
2: and links for Tiffany's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com Special thanks to Tiffany for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again In this extraordinary, frustrating, crazy when-do-I-get-my-life-back time I hope you and your people are safe and healthy I'll see you on the trail one of these days